Hello, Michael Rokas here, and at this year's Hot Docs Film Fest, there's a doc about running featured. I know, right? Anyway, I had a conversation with my old high school English teacher, John Loney, who also happens to be a CCAA cross-country coach of the year and world duathlon championship silver medalist. And that's what this episode of The Terminal Mile is, an honest conversation about the high points and the low points of Paul Kemp's film about Alberto Salazar and the Nike Oregon project entitled Nike's Big Bet, Alberto Salazar and the Fine Line of Sport. A quick note, if you're listening to this on or before May 9th, it is available to stream via the Hot Docs website. Now, without further ado, here are our thoughts and a review of the film. Director Paul Kemp's film, Nike's Big Bet, Alberto Salazar, and the Fine Line of Sport premiered at this year's Hot Dogs Film Festival and has been catching the eyes of running fans. In the film, Kemp takes a look at the good and the bad of Alberto Salazar's work with the Nike Oregon Project, with a focus on Salazar's doping violation suspension, Mary Kane's New York Times piece on her time with the project, and oddly enough, Super Shoes. Tell me break down this film, I'm joined by the silver medalist at the 1997 ITU World Duathlon Championships and a CCAA cross-country coach of the year who saw the Fanshawe Falcons cross-country teams to a great amount of perennial success. But more importantly, he is also a retired English teacher. And as we all know, if you want something overanalyzed, there is no one more suited to that than an English teacher. He is John Loney, and earlier this week, we both took some time to watch this film. So without further ado, let's take a look at what was good, what was bad, and answer the questions, is it worth a watch, and how does it stack up against the all-time gold standard of running movies without limits? Loney, are you ready to tear this thing apart? I am ready, Michael. Let's uh, tear away. <laughs> All right. So let's uh, let's start by taking a look at the at the good with the film because I I do believe that there was a lot of good things uh, with the film and it would be uh, probably beneficial to take a look at, at what really stuck with us uh, throughout this uh, this documentary. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the first things I sort of brought to it was um, you know trying not to you know, commit the sin of thinking that I knew everything about a topic. I think a lot of people make that mistake. They, they do some research and then they think, well, okay, I'm good to go. I've, I've, you know, I've done my research. I know what I need to know. And I've formed my opinion based on that. But I think, you know, you, you can never have enough viewpoints. You can never have enough information on a topic. And so I think one of the goods that I took away from this documentary was that, you know, if nothing else, it, it presented some different viewpoints and, and certainly different than, a lot of the narrative that had been going on in, in media and, and social media. And uh, so I, w- I was grateful to just hear some different viewpoints and, and things that kind of made me uh, pause a little bit. And, uh, and I thought that was good. You know, to piggyback on top of that, um, you know, when I was first watching, uh, I saw Malcolm Gladwell uh, on there. And I, I'm not going to lie to you, I, I rolled my eyes at first. It was like, all right, we get it, Malcolm Gladwell. You are a fan of track and field. But what can you possibly, uh, what could you contribute to this film? And I was actually very pleasantly surprised. Um, he brought kind of a different sort of viewpoint uh, to things. He examined things from... Um, you know, not, not the, not the standard narrative. And, uh, I think overall it, it added, added to the film. What, what did you think of, of Gladwell's, uh, you know, performance, maybe, uh, analysis w- might be a better word for that. 
Yeah, I had, I had a very similar reaction at first. You know, there were all these sort of well-known names within the you know track and field circles, and then I, you know I thought Malcolm Gladwell. I certainly knew who he was, and I you know I was familiar with a lot of his um, stuff. But I, and I knew that he was he was a pretty avid runner. I know he ran in high school, I think, in the Kitchener Waterloo area. And um, but I thought, whoa! But for me, it was like like I said before, I the more viewpoints that are brought to us to uh, any kind of subject matter, I think the better. And I thought, well, why wouldn't I want to hear um, what he has to say? Like, and I heard all the criticisms on social media about, you know, you, you have no credentials in the world of track and field. You, you don't deserve an opinion on this. And I thought, well, like everybody deserves an opinion on a given topic, you know, regardless of, um, you know, your pedigree or, or, or whatever. So yeah, I was, I was more than interested to hear what he had to say. No, that was it. I, I mean, I, I think I, I like to my first point. Like he brought he brought this you know other viewpoint, and you know I think you could easily have done a documentary that was just inundated with um, expert opinion, um, and his you know his opinion is expert in its own way. But I thought it was kind of like a fresh look. Like let's see what like a sort of a pseudo outsider uh, to all of this would would have would what would be their take on it and. Uh, and no, I, th- I thought it was good. I thought what he brought to the to the documentary was well worth listening to. Uh, from outsider yeah, to think- to real insider, uh, another person who I, I really feel is is worth mentioning, especially when when talking about the good parts of of this uh, documentary, was uh, was Alex Hutchison. I really feel like he brought such. Uh, you know, great, great context. Uh, you know, obviously this is someone who is, uh, he's, he's just, you know, he's folded into the sport and, and the culture and, uh, he, he's really become, you know, synonymous with, uh, with, with, with the sport and, uh, with technology in the sport. So I really felt like he was, uh, a fantastic addition to this film as well too. And I, I think that he, he really, uh, enriched the film and I don't think it would have had as much credibility without him. No, I agree. Like, you know, he brings sort of the science to, that's what he sort of does. Like he brings the science to, to the sport. And I think he brought the science to them. I mean, he just, he's described himself as just like an outlier in this, um, documentary. But I, I think he was anything, but I think it was, it was great to hear, you know, what he brought to the what he brought to the table. You know what? One last thing that that I thought was uh, was really good, and I I know that you for sure will have have a different perspective on this. Um, but as someone who uh, was was born after after Selzar's uh, heyday. I didn't really have a whole lot of context uh, of him as an athlete. I mean, like I, I've uh, I've read a really excellent piece on on the Duel in the Sun. Uh, really, really nice long form. Uh, I wish I could remember where I read it. Uh, anyways, uh, as far as him as as an athlete, I didn't have a whole a whole lot of information. Most most of my information comes from you know Salzar, uh, the coach of the Nike Oregon project. So providing yeah. that context, I thought that was uh, that was a really strong part of it as well too, because it, it kind of gave uh, a look at who he was as a coach. Uh, you know, as a result of who he was as an athlete. I know you've actually met Salazar before, uh, and, you know, you would have watched him, uh, you know, when when he was uh, in his heyday as well, too. So how, how do you think that they really covered that that aspect of things? 
Yeah, I mean, that was that was one of the other. I mean, you know, I went into it um, fully aware of the fact that okay, don't 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 be too biased by the fact that you know you're a, that myself. I was a huge Prefontaine fan, as were a lot of runners of my era, um, and so I knew I you know everything that I could soak up about him. And I knew already that Salazar was kind of the um, the heir apparent to Prefontaine after after Prefontaine's uh, death there in '75. That Nike was looking for like the new. So I knew that narrative of the documentary that they needed a new sort of you know poster child for running, and that Salazar, you know, because he he went to Oregon and he was a phenom himself, and then he went on to won in New York three times and Boston once and. Uh, that he seemed like a logical fit, and I knew what he was like as an athlete, and I the way they kind of wove that in, like the way that those two were as runners, is how Nike was as a company, and so therefore Salazar later, you know, in the in 2001, uh, became the logical choice to head up um, the Oregon project because of how he fits. So I like I like that part of it, and um, yeah, I mean, I knew a lot about Salazar. I followed him. Uh, when he was at Oregon, and then of course I remember in the '80s getting up on those you know Sunday mornings to watch the New York Marathon and watching you know him like step for step for all of those races, and I uh, I admired him as an athlete. And then um, in 1984, the U.S. Olympic trials were down were being held down in Buffalo, New York, and I grew up in Hamilton, and so that was this short drive for me to go down and to meet my idol. I met him the day before the race. Um, just briefly, there was a line of people lining up to meet him. And, you know, rightly so, he was preoccupied with getting ready for the race the next day. And, um, but yeah, I had just like sort of a few seconds meeting him. And I think more, I just, I was in awe. I just kind of stood there and stared at this guy. Because he'd already won New York like three times at that point. And uh, so I was just in awe of him. Um, and the next day, I think he, he finished second in the trials to Pete Fitzinger and then um yeah so I yeah so I knew that 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 much of the documentary sort of the the Prefontaine part and the Salazar part I was really familiar with um them but then some sort of that point on um was where there was a lot of things that I, I wasn't that familiar with yeah, I I I think one last thing that that I'd I'd probably mention, uh, you know, about the the really good parts of of this film was that it was uh, above all else, it was it was very entertaining. It held my attention for uh, the hour and twenty minutes, hour and thirty minutes uh, that it was. I I, th- I thought um, you know it, it told uh, a very interesting story and. Uh, uh, you know, obviously I'm a running fan myself, but you know, the whole entire time I, you know, eyes were on the screen. Um, as far as yeah. that goes, how, how did you feel the entertainment factor was? Uh, I think the same thing. I think, you know, one of the criticisms was that when they got into the latter part of the film and they got into the discussion of shoes, people thought, well, that should have, that could have almost been a separate story. Um, but, but I think that, you know, Paul Kemp kind of wove that part in well, too, that it was all part of the narrative of Nike as this cutting-edge um, entity, and, and, and all these people were just extensions of this philosophy of being on the cutting edge. And so the shoe being now, you know, this controversial cutting-edge shoe technology still kind of fit in with the narrative, even though 
it, it, it sort of took the story away from Salazar, but I, I didn't see that as a distraction. It was still um, interesting. And um, yeah, and for, for me, the entertainment, I mean, looking at it as, I looked at it from a lot of different perspectives, like as a, as a runner, you know, I thought back in the day, would, would I have wanted an opportunity like this? And I was like, yeah, probably, <laughs> you know, a company like that approaches it. How would you like to have all this money thrown at you? And, and we're going to push you and see how good you can get. I'd be like, yeah, sign me up. Um, but for me, a lot of the, the takeaway as a coach was um, the people that kind of said, you know, before you hook up with the coach or a training group, like know what you're getting into. Hmm. You know, that was one of the messages that, I mean, Gladwell brought that up and several others did too, that they said, well, you know, you, you know, you knew what you were getting. That, you know, Nike wasn't putting all this money into it to get mediocre results. You know, results were expected and, and we're going to push you hard. So you shouldn't be surprised. I mean, but that, and that, and again, being pushed, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this later when we get into the other parts of the movie and, and things that made us think a little bit. Um, but as a coach, that's always been, you know, something that a coach grapples with, which is, you know, how much pushing is too much pushing. And, you know, but yeah, I think as an athlete, you know, an athlete or a parent of an athlete, you know, know what you're getting into. Like, do your research ahead of time. You know, don't, you know, don't be afraid to ask questions. If you do a campus tour, if you're being recruited as such, you know, ask questions. Like, how do you see me fitting in? What, what is my role on this team? What, what, what is my experience here going to be? And, you know, if you're not comfortable with the answers, um, then don't get into it. I think that came up a few times in the documentary was from an, athlete perspective or, or a parent of an athlete, which was, you know, know what you're getting into ahead of time. And, uh, you know, some coaching, some coach athletes relationships work out really well and some don't. And then that doesn't mean it was good or bad. It was just, you know, do your research ahead of time. And, um, and if you don't think that's a good fit for you, then don't, don't put yourself in that situation. Yeah, I, I feel like yeah. there's there's a, a few lessons like that, uh, you know, uh, w- with within the uh, the movie that I I feel were were really important there. Uh, you know, as as far as good things, was was there anything else that uh, that you thought, uh, you know, they they did a really good job on? I think well, those are my my two biggies. Where like they know what you're getting into, part from a coaching perspective, and then just the. You know, I was just happy to sit there for, you know, 80, 90 minutes and listen to some viewpoints. Um, some people I had never heard of in, in this whole story and some people I had heard of, but not in much depth. And, um, yeah, I think for me that was, the, like like you said, I, I, there wasn't a dull moment. For me it was just, hey, the more I can, you know, bring to my understanding and knowledge of this situation, the better. And then we know that it, it's not settled yet, like the – appeal is still ongoing and uh, we don't know the full extent of all of this. And I just thought, like I said at the beginning, the, the more people bring to this, the the better understanding we can all have of, of you know, what, what went on. All right. So uh, oh. as, as an English teacher, uh, you had to, uh, you were presented with some, some fantastic work over the years. Uh, I, I happen <laughs> to know this, uh, you know, for, firsthand. 
Uh, I also know for on uh, from from firsthand experiences that you were able to find uh, faults in even even the greatest pieces of uh, of work handed <laughs> into you. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's uh, that's where we're going to go next. Uh, sure. Some 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 things uh, within the film that that perhaps they they could have done a little bit better, or maybe some some detractors. So uh, I, I guess we'll we'll go there next. What uh, what do you think could have been improved within the film? Well, here, here, there's a, I'll, I get to the, the bigger one, the bigger problem I had, but I'll start with one of the smaller ones, was that the characterization of that, at the beginning of the film, to characterize Prefontaine uh, as a win-at-all-cost runner. Hmm. Because I, and I, one of the things I'm like, uh, I'm not so sure about that, because those of us that are familiar with the pre-story and the narrative, whether you got it from, you know, watching Without Limits or, however you got it, was that he, he wasn't win at all costs because there were certain strategies that he found abhorrent. Like the, the whole idea, you know, of sitting and kicking, you know, famously he described that as, you know, chicken shit, mm-hmm. that he would never run that way. So if, the, if, if it's win at all costs, there are certainly a number of races that he ran in. Uh, I mean, you could cite, you know, the 72 Olympic 5,000 there, as had he had he run that differently, he might have meddled if not won. But if you asked him the time, like I don't think he would have run that race any other way because that wasn't you know that wasn't his style, that wasn't his thing. So like you know he was all about you know yes pushing the the limits of you know limits of the human heart thing. Um, but I don't I don't think it was fair to say that he was a win at all costs guy i think he would have he would have been the first to say that there are certain ways of winning that are just not worth the cost you would have to pay to do that so that was just a teeny little criticism being you know coming to coming to freeze defense on that point oh for sure for oh. sure and uh yeah I guess it was it was a bit of a conflicting narrative as far as that goes too. Uh, you know, to paint Alberto Salazar as a, as a almost as a win at all cost sort of guy, but they they were also you know um, painting him as a guy who uh, would paint within the lines. However, he would paint just within the lines too, and I, I found that that to be uh, almost a little bit uh, well, a lot of bit uh, contradictory. Uh, you know, yeah. as, as, as far as that goes, uh, as well too, I, I, I know I had in my, my points, um, to talk about a little bit later as, as far as, you know, some of the things that, that made us, uh, made us think as, as we, uh, as we watch yeah. this, but, um, yep. yeah, that, that's, I've seen that narrative a whole lot over the over the past uh, you know couple of years as something that that's that's brought into things, but I think most yeah. competitive people are uh, just that they're they're competitive. <laughs> they're they're gonna look for a, a way to win, and I think everyone will have uh, different you know barriers and different boundaries and that sort of stuff. But um, I th- yeah, it, it's a, it's an interesting concept, but I I think I have to agree with you. Um, on that point, uh, what one of the I agree. I mean, it's all like, like I said, like you know, we'll probably come back to it later too. I think by the sounds of it, um, but yeah, this whole idea that winning at all cost is synonymous with cheating—that if you are a win at all cost type of individual, you will inevitably resort to you know going outside the lines or going outside the boundaries. And I thought that was not. I think you can be 
a win at all. You can be a highly driven coach or athlete um, and never go outside the lines. But there was kind of this suggestion that being having that attitude was in itself a negative thing, and I, I don't I don't think it is necessarily. So one of one of the things that that came up with the the whole win at all costs sort of uh, sort of mentality, um, you know, there was uh, quite a bit of talk about uh, about Mary Kane and, and her story. Yeah. Uh, that was in the New York Times uh, last year. Uh, I would highly suggest that uh, everyone look at it. Uh, there's all sorts of talk about uh, you know uh, I would say you know verbal abuse, um, body image, uh, just just abs. There, there's a lot to unpack there, and I, I, I don't want to to go into it too much because I don't think I could do it justice no. uh, in a couple of minutes. However, within the film, I feel like that was a place where it really fell down as well, too, uh, in that they they did have quite a few talking heads in there. Uh, they brought in Gladwell. They had uh, Hutchison. They, they had a whole bunch of different people. However, taking a look at, at who was giving that commentary, uh, it was a lot of white dudes and when talking about um mary kane's story i really feel like they could have benefited from uh, a more diverse uh cast of people because i don't i feel like they they miss the point i I really feel like they miss the point um just by not opening up to a more diverse uh panel to talk about that specific subject um what what were your thoughts on that no i i agree with that that was one part that you know, when they got into the Mary Kane story, I mean, that's very, very sensitive territory. And, you know, speaking as a coach that, you know, coached, you know, both male and female athletes my whole career. Um, yeah, I really think they sort of glossed over that. And I, and I get, you know, you could look elsewhere for the full Mary Kane story. Maybe they, maybe they just chose not to go there. But, you know, there was only one, like, female voice that was heard from on in the movie, and that was from Kara Goucher. And she, you know, she got into some of it. But I really think they, they kind of portrayed Mary as, well, she came into the club, Salazar pushed her really hard, and she didn't like that. And she should have done her research going in. There was a little shade thrown towards, like, her parents. Like, well, they knew what was going on, and they didn't say anything until much later and and I thought that's really not fair because it's a very very complex issue and I know I you know the issue you know specifically of things like weight and diet are just are so complicated and like you know you know is weight a factor in running performance well of course it is but that conversation is you you have those are very tricky waters to navigate as a coach and um and as soon as you know as soon as that discussion gets into anything like public shaming or berating or making an athlete feel bad um about their like that's you're just getting into dangerous stuff and i think they kind of left that out and that's a very important part of the mary kane story that if those allegations are true um then yeah that they're that's that's a line which uh, a coach should not be crossing. I mean, I mean, I've had those discussions with female athletes about weight where I've had a female athlete sit there and, you know, look me in the eyes like, you know, could I get faster if I lost some weight? Mm-hmm. 
and you know, oh, it's just like, oh, geez, I don't, I don't want to, like, ugh, maybe, but there's a lot of other factors. Like, there's a lot of other things that come into making you perform at your peak beyond just you know how much you weigh. And and uh, do do you sometimes have to have those discussions? Of course you do, but you know, uh, uh, any conscientious coach has to tread very lightly when going into that territory. And they didn't address that in the documentary. Like I said, I, maybe they chose not to, but I think they really sort of um, glossed over the Kane story and just kind of said this was a, almost as if she was just like a sore loser, you know, like it didn't work out for you and now you're angry and now you're lashing out at, at some of the things that you went through. And I, I think that's, that's unfair. Yeah, no, I yeah, I no. definitely agree with that. Um, you mentioned that, that you had a little bit different take uh, on on this next point a little bit earlier uh, mm-hmm. in the episode. However, I thought that the the, the take on sh- on super shoes uh, that that they're really pushing there, uh, I don't know, man. I uh, <laughs> I think at this point, every single piece of r- running media in the last couple of years has has mentioned the impact of shoes on on racing. Uh, you know, at least once. I really feel like this take is uh, is a little bit tired, a little bit cliche. And I think <laughs> for a documentary like this, I think it was almost unnecessary. I I can see the philosophy behind it, but I just I don't feel like it was it was super ne- uh, necessary. And I I I had this written down as as a, as a bad point within uh, within the film. Well, I mean, if you're if you're if you're watching, you're super jaded. You're just like, oh, this is somehow this is Nike selling shoes uh-huh. and maybe, but for me, it was just, I couldn't even wrap my head around it because I've ne- like, I do not run on the roads anymore. My track days are long gone. So any kind of a shoe with a carbon implant is, I'm probably never going to wear one cause I don't need one. Cause all I do is run on trails and grass now. Um, but never once in my career did I stand at a starting line and look down at the competitor's shoes and think to myself, oh, crap, he's going to beat me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, I, but I also was aware that this has become uh, an issue. And, um, you know, in the bigger picture of, you know, how it sort of ties in back to the coaching thing, like how far is too far, you know. I mean, you could easily just say this, hey, good for Nike. Like, they're trying to make runners faster. Like, what's wrong with that? Um, but I, I used to use the analogy, like, if I were a high jump competitor – and all of a sudden, one of my um, competitors or fellow competitors came out, and they had shoes with springs on the bottom. They were like, boing, boing. I'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not fair. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is that analogous to this is, you know, is, are these shoes not fair? And, um, yeah, but I still, part of, like, I felt, I, part of the documentary, I felt like, why, why are we now talking about shoes? We were talking about Alberto Salazar and the Oregon project. And now we're talking about footwear and like, why other than, other than it's a little bit interesting, but I almost felt like, you know, that could have been its own story. You, you know, I, I went back and forth on that point. Uh, I mean, in yeah. fact, in fact, today I uh, was was talking to uh, my boss who doesn't really run at all. I was I was talking yeah. to uh, him about some uh, 
I guess some some sub super shoes that I had recently purchased and uh, explaining to him <laughs> the, the 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 science behind them and and how they yeah. how they had changed everything and um completely had his 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 complete and, and utter interest and uh, I I wouldn't say he was a non runner he he ran in college a, a tiny bit anyways yeah. he's uh he, he you know like he's he's looked into it more and he got back to me at the end of the shift and and was was asking even more questions about it so I can see that there is this interest there and I can see how it ties into there but I I feel like a lot of real estate was uh, was was given to this topic that has been well tread upon uh, and yeah. I don't think as consequential to the story as uh, as maybe they thought it was no I, I agree like I, I like you know they there was clearly the attempt to weave it into the narrative of you know this whole Nike as this cutting edge and you know and of course they so they hired a cutting edge coach to head up the project and they have these cutting edge shoes um, and I got that connection, but I really didn't think it added much to the story of, you know, I mean, it's called, you know, Nike's big bet, you know, and I, I don't know, I guess, and which I assumed it was the bet as in, you know, backing Salazar through all of this. And I really didn't see how the footwear tied into that other than part of that whole Nike as a, as, you know, a history of being a cutting edge um, company. I mean, because you could look at examples of where Nike has always thrown their support behind people who are. I mean, look, they've stuck behind. They've stuck behind Lance mm. longer than some people thought they should have. They stuck. They've stuck behind Tiger through all his, you know, um, various issues over the years, and they they stuck behind. Uh, they got behind Colin Kaepernick. So Nike has always put itself out there as somebody that will stand behind athletes that are a controversial and now they're standing behind a shoe that's somewhat controversial. I can't I mean, unless I mean, maybe you can think of one that I can't think of, but I, I can't think of the last time a shoe caused so much stink. Yeah. And, and, and I can't think of one in running other than, I mean, if you go back to like Nike and their air sole and it came out, um, or even the waffle sole that, started with Bowerman and all that, but I can't think of another sort of footwear technology and maybe the Reebok pump back in the day, but <laughs> I can't think of a, of a shoe that caused so much stink not to the point where people thought it was an, it was an unfair advantage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a neat subject. It's an interesting topic, um, but I'm not sure that it warranted that much time in this particular documentary. No, no, I, I, I definitely uh, agree with you there. Uh, you know, as as far as as things that I I felt that maybe they could have improved upon, my my list isn't too much longer. Uh, there's there's some no. some facts being stretched or you know like being portrayed in in a certain light. Um, like when they talked about uh, Cam Levins's uh, uh, Canadian marathon record uh, and really kind of connected that to to his time at, at NOP. Well. Eric Cool was yeah. his coach at that time and, um, you know, was before NOP as well, too. I, I, I don't think yeah. it's exactly fair to uh, to link the two together. I mean, obviously, you're going to pick up, no. uh, you know, from all your experiences and, and, and stuff like that. However, uh, you know, there, there's little things like that when, you know, they were, were talking about Pete Julian guys, you know, being, being, uh, being you know, uh, influenced by Salazar. Well, 
<laughs> probably, but uh, I I think I think some some things were stretched there, and and you know I, maybe that that won't be obvious to to most people watching the film. However, I I think to your really invested audience, and and let's face it, track guys are are really invested in in their sport. They will notice those sorts of things when when they watch a you know a video like that. Yeah, and to say something like to say somebody was influenced by someone else, I mean that's you know measuring influence is is difficult. I mean you could go way way back and say well every running coach is influenced by Lidgard. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but how but how do you measure like to what degree somebody? I mean you can pick apart their workouts and go well. Oh, that workout right there, that's clearly uh, been influenced by this individual. But, I mean, that's the same with music or, you know, lots of forms of art. And say, well, everybody has influences, um, but the degree to which somebody was influenced varies greatly. Like, you know, a very little degree of influence to a, to a you know, I'm, I'm a direct disciple of that person. Um, yeah, so, but, yeah, I mean, we... I think the part with Cam Levins, of course, as Canadians, we're all kind of interested to hear what Cam had to say, um, which I don't think was all that much. It was just kind of like, you know, my time with the team was like, was okay, and I never had any real problems. Mm-hmm. He certainly didn't. He didn't say that. You know, he didn't attribute any of his, you know, great successes to being there. He he spoke very, I guess, I don't know neutrally, I guess would be the way to put it. He was just kind of, he didn't say anything really great. He didn't say anything really bad. He was just kind of like, I did my time there. I did the workouts. I ran some good races and I don't think anybody ever did anything that I had a problem with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that was about the extent of it. I'm like, okay. Yeah, no. And, um, you know, Cam Cam has been very, uh, very steady with that opinion, uh, you know, through all his media and, and that sort of stuff. Um, I, I did, you know, I, that was the first time hearing the, the anecdote, uh, you know, where, where Alberto had, uh, taken him aside at the beginning and said, you know, if you, if you see any, anything sketchy, uh, come see me. Um, that, that was the first time that I'd heard that. And I, I thought that was, that was kind of an, uh, an interesting, uh, anecdote, uh, to, to bring. Yeah, that, that's, that's a really good, I've so almost forgotten about that, but yeah, that's an interesting point because you're almost, it's like. Is that in and of itself a bit of a red flag? It's, yeah. it's almost like when you, if you take your kid to the doctor for the first time and you go, now it's going to be okay, you'll be fine, and the kid's thinking to themselves, why wouldn't I be? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What the heck is about to happen in there? Well, nothing. I'm just saying, if anything really bad happens, you let me know. Well, now I'm not sure if I want to go in. Yeah. You know, if I joined the club and somebody said to me, if you find anything shady going on, you let me know. Mm-hmm. I, I I would take that as a red flag. And what what's going to go on that I'm not going to be okay with? Oh, no, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, yeah, that, you're right. That was that's interesting. So I I think one of the uh, one of the highest compliments you can you can pay uh, a documentary or a piece of media like this uh, is that it made you think after after yep. consuming that that piece of media. Uh, and, and that's where, where I want to go next. Uh, so, you know, I know for sure the next morning when I was out for my run, there's, there's a few things that, that, um, you know, I was thinking about after, after watching, uh, you know, the video and, and, 
seeing some of the themes and stuff, and I definitely drew a few conclusions or, or some some things that that definitely you know sparked some other ideas. But uh, we'll we'll go to you first. You know what uh, what did what did you think about you know after watching uh, watching the documentary? Well, I think it. <laughs> I think uh, it it made me put more thought to things that I'd already put thought to, but then like I said at the beginning of all this, like there's nothing wrong with, you know, putting more thought to something and that, that I think there's a danger in thinking that, you know, all there is to know or you, or you, that you know enough. And so it made me, I think, reconsider some things. And, um, you know, for all my years coaching, whether it was high school or college, um, that, that whole idea of grappling with that line of, um, you know, pushing an athlete to be their best, but how, where is that line and how do you know when you've crossed it? And, and I think everybody, every coach has to um, wrestle with that idea at some point, which is, you know, like pushing is good and bringing the best out of an athlete is good. Um, but how much is too much? Mm. And I, I, and, and I, the, the documentary did make me think about that. Like I, I, I went everything in the sort of the, the spectrum of, you know, that Salazar is, yeah, that's exactly what, how he was built. Like he's a guy that's going to push and push and push and push. And then the other end of the spectrum is, yeah, but he did some things that are not cool. And I agree. There, there are some things in that documentary that, I mean, we have to see in the long run of this, like what comes out as, as, you know, verified truth and what is, you know, speculation or rumor or whatever. Um, but yeah, there were some things in there that made me go, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that as a coach. That is not a territory. I mean, you get into, you know, injecting athletes or, cause I mean, specifically, I mean, the things that he was charged with officially, one was like, you know, trafficking and testosterone mm-hmm. and then, you know, everything from, well, he was experimenting, but he never used it on his athletes, but he was playing around with it. I mean, you know, someone who taught law for many years, I, uh, well, you know, if you're caught in possession of all the tools you use to break into cars, you're going to have to answer some questions and you're not going to just, well, I didn't break into a car. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, well, then why did you have all the tools for breaking into cars? Yeah. I was just experimenting with breaking into cars, but I didn't break into one. Like, well, okay, you're, you're going to have to answer some questions. And I thought, you know, some of what he did there, you know, and then like the L-carnitine, infusions um you know if he was if i mean that's pretty clear cut to me if, if he was infusing beyond that which was allowed um by water or you saw it i mean that's that's a pretty clear cut infraction you know and then there was the tampering with doping controls which was counseling his athletes during the doping control process don't mention that you got infused mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay that's that's some shady territory too so for me, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. It didn't give me a lot of answers, but it made me again think about that line and like, you know, because I've had that experience of you know pushing an athlete, and then at some point you're like, you know, how much is too much? I mean, it, it's one thing to experiment with like mileage, right? Like, let we're gonna run, let's see how many miles a week you can handle. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole idea is like you're not gonna know your limit until you go past it. And they're like, oops, okay, well, your limit was just back there. <laughs> we, we went past it. So now we know. 
that that was your limit. So let's, we'll make sure we don't. So, you know, I get that part of coaching where you have to push and push to the limit and in some cases past it to know what that limit is. But by the same token, are there not certain lines that you just don't cross? And I think for me, it was, you know, when you start getting into introducing foreign substances and whether, you know, legal or illegal or um, sanctioned or anything, it's that to me is a, is a, is a risky area. So, I mean, that for me was definitely the big thinker is it, I, it made me revisit that whole idea of, you know, which is what coaches, like I said, like grapple with all the time, which is how much pushing is too much pushing. So uh, on, a, on a similar token and, and hearing you, you talk about this, it's it's made me think. So you had someone like Salzer who as an athlete was, um, he was internally motivated like he was he was the guy who was motivating himself the most as a coach did you have athletes like that and when did you feel it was your responsibility to step in and and rein that person back in and say okay look you need to take a a little bit off here well i i think you know that sort of the old adage that you know every every runner is their own worst enemy you know, it's it's such an obsessive sport, and it, it's filled with people that want to push and, and test their limits of their endurance and their speed, etc. Um, and yeah, I, I, lots of examples where I've had to pull athletes back um, to almost like protect them from themselves. And on the other end, you have athletes that are not internally, intrinsically motivated. So you have to push them to get them to see what they can do. And the, and the trick, I mean, that, that's sort of part of the art of coaching is knowing when you have an athlete that you need to pull back because they can be their own worst enemy. And when you have somebody that's not even scratching the surface of their potential. And even then, you don't know how they're going to respond. I mean, I, you know, I've had athletes where I push them and their response is, yeah, like push me harder. Like I want to see what I can do here. And I've had others that say, have said like, whoa, 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 like, you're a little much for me. Like, mm. slow down. I'm just, I'm happy to be on the team and get a shirt and uh, say I'm part of something. Mm. I'm not in this to, like, test the limits of my physical endurance. And then you ha- you kind of go, okay, well, all right, I guess that's the deal. And, th- I mean, that's the trick. Like, if you're, you know, because I coach in college, like, you know, teams. I, did, I didn't coach, in, well, I coached individuals on teams, but – and that's sort of the catch is the goal is team success, but you're still coaching individuals and you kind of have to know which, which are those athletes that you can push and get positive response from and which are those ones that you have to treat a little more cautiously for whatever reason. And it's, you know, no one coaching style works for every athlete. And, um, and that, that's, that's hard as a, as a coach to know when to, when to push and when to maybe try a different approach. So one of the, one of the things that, that really made me think, uh, you know, after watching this was, uh, you know, obviously in the, uh, uh, I guess a little over half decade of, of these podcasts here, I've, I've gotten uh, to meet a, a lot of uh, very successful athletes, a lot of very successful coaches and, there were some things with Alberto Salazar that 
were so like I could see some parallels between himself uh, and at least one one really high powered, highly successful uh, <laughs> coach. Um, you know, I, mm-hmm. I guess we don't have to go too deep into that. Um, no. However, I'm, I'm sure people can can probably uh, read between the lines on this one. But you know, the yeah. the whole thing as such as uh, like innovation and and that sort of things. Um, like, like, like trying some things out, um, you know, and, and bringing those things, things forward. Um, and, and, you know, we're not talking about performance enhancing drugs, you know, or, or anything here, but, you know, like just, just that willingness to be, uh, you know, on the, on the cutting edge of things, uh, of, you know, looking for, looking for answers where, you know, most people just will just accept that it's an impossibility, kind of that, that, you know, like driving curiosity, uh, between, between, you know, the, these these highly successful coaches i don't know do you think there's there's anything there yeah i mean i think you know on the one hand that's a, you know a very positive character like that whole idea of like curiosity and let's 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 see where we can go with this and i mean you know the greatest innovators in history are people that were you know thinking outside the box and willing to push the bounds and at first they're thought of as rebels and and then all of a sudden, you know, later they're seen as geniuses. But then sometimes there are people that, you know, go there and then they're just seen as being, you know, uh, abusive or harassing or and and you know that's the whole. How do, it's such a double-edged sword, right? The whole what can make you a great coach can also make um, certain things about what you do problematic and. Um, yeah, I think it ultimately it comes down for me, anyways. As a coach, it always came down to, you know, trust between the athlete and the coach, and yeah, and especially if you're coaching a team, you have to foster like an environment of safety, right? And if an athlete doesn't feel safe and supported, and that everybody there, from athletes to coaches and therapists and trainers, that everybody's got everybody's back, well, ultimately it's not going to work out. And so when you create an environment of you know, criticism or berating or secrecy or that a coach is doing something with one athlete that they're not doing with the others for whatever reasons. Like, it just, it creates uh, a negative environment. And so that's, yeah, it's, um, yeah, like, I mean, this this is why I like documenting. Like, this is my point is that it makes you think it doesn't necessarily give you all the answers and nor I think did it try to give you all the answers. But if you go away from this thinking like, yeah, that's like, that's a really good point. That's a really good thing to think about. And as a coach, that's, that's where this documentary sort of left me, which is like I said before, revisiting things that I, you know, already thought a lot about, but maybe I needed to give a little more thought to and, you know, and yeah, and the, the, where in that in the in the name of innovation and in the name of you know um, going into new territory in the name of discovering what athletes are capable of, like where can you go and where shouldn't you go and and where's that line? And you know, I, I think I have a pretty good idea of like where you shouldn't go, mm. uh, but yeah. that's I don't know. That's a Oh, that's the age-old question with coaching, which is like how to get the best out of your athletes, whatever whatever your version of the best is, 
how do you, how do you and your athletes get there? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, at the beginning of this episode, we uh, we really wanted to answer uh, two questions uh, by the end. So we'll we'll start with uh, with uh, with this one first. How does it stack up against the all time gold standard of running movies? No, we're not talking about Rocky. We are talking about <laughs> the the uh, Steve Prefontaine story without limits. Uh, where where would you say it stacks up with that? Well, I mean, you could you could say that you know, well, it doesn't stack up in the sense that one one's a documentary film and one is a docudrama that took a has taken some. I mean, if you watch the other Prefontaine film, you know, Prefontaine, you can see some of the differences between like sort of the myths and the and the reality and. Uh, but I, you know, to be honest, like I don't think anything stacks up with without limits i mean there's still copies of that movie i give to people that are just starting running and i say you have to watch this before you do any more running you have to watch this and you know i I may say the same thing with you know this documentary like would before you i mean it's actually if you're getting if, if it was somebody getting into like that sort of elite or more competitive level of running i'd say you should give this a watch um, so I, like both movies have their merits in terms of, you know, if you want to learn the the legend and some of the mythology behind Prefontaine, you watch Without Limits. And if you want to learn, if you want to get a, a, some other perspectives on, you know, the, the Salazar Oregon Project story, then check this out. So I think, yeah, they have, you know, equal number of merits for different reasons. But come on, let's be honest, nothing nothing stacks up to Without Limits. Yes, with my uh, with my apologies to Paul Kemp, uh, it was not without limits. <laughs> but, but we nor, nor did it try to be. So let's both. <laughs> that's that's fair. fair. That, that's fair. Uh, so still the reigning champion uh, w- without limits. Uh, with with that, a, a little more more seriously uh, taking a look at something. What. Do you think it's it's worth the the price of admission to uh, to to go to go watch this uh, this movie uh, right now uh, until May 9th? So when you're hearing this, it, it may already be finished. However, I'm sure it'll be coming to a streaming platform uh, pretty soon. Uh, you know, after this. However, uh, about 15 bucks, I think. I think it was out of pocket to to go see this. Do you, do you think it was uh, it was worth it as far as that goes? Yeah, like I, I, you know, I, I at first I hesitated. And I, I looked up and like because I heard about it, and I thought, well, let's see, like how can I watch this? And then I discovered that it was, you know, currently it was as of today it was only available on, you know, through Hot Docs and as part of the Hot Docs Festival. And I got on there and I'm like, oh, okay, it's going to cost me eleven bucks plus some taxes. And I'm like, you know what? Yeah, because I I definitely thought I would spend the money. Because for once I wanted to be in early on something <laughs> rather than waiting months from now when everybody had seen it and everybody had weighed in, you know, on their opinion on it. And so, uh, yeah, but no, I thought it was well worth the uh, money I spent in the 48 hours that I was allowed to watch it uh, twice. Yeah, no, I yeah, no. more, but I, I thought it was well worth the money. So, I, I, I think it was, it was a, it was a great film. Um, you, you know, despite all, all all the all the negatives we we pointed out there, I I think overall it was it was really good. You know, I I won't pre- I won't pretend otherwise. If you're listening to this, you're probably a really big fan of of track and field and and of distance running. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, just by the fact that, that you are listening to this, I'm going to say that, that you're probably really going to enjoy this this film. And, and I would say, um, yeah, take take the time. Uh, yeah, you, uh, you, you will at the very least be entertained for, for an hour and 20, hour and a half. Uh, and Hey, who doesn't like that? eh? Yeah. I mean, you, you might sit there the whole time and like nod your head and you might sit there the whole time and disagree or game. But I think, you know, that's where I started all this. And like, you know, I'm a big, especially, you know, during these COVID times, I've watched a lot of content, but I'm really a big fan of content that makes me. Uh, think and I've tried to spend a lot of my time you know I've spent my fair number of hours on mindless entertainment but I I try to watch a lot of stuff that makes me think and this did that for like I said and you you kind of were in the same boat that for the 82 minutes it it had me it had me enthralled and yeah I mean we're both predisposed to it because of an interest in the sport Um, but even you know runners I think would find it interesting and, um, and I think a lot of other people, even if you weren't runners, just people are have always been sort of interested in the, you know, Nike's place in the world of sport. And I think this is an interesting look at, uh, you know, beyond just Salazar, an interesting look at Nike's place in the world of distance running and sort of a little bit of the history of how they got there and uh, how they plan on staying there. Yeah, of course. You yeah. know the the question that that comes to mind at the end of it: Were you not entertained? Were you not? Uh, of course, <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, I was. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find uh, Nike's big bet, Alberto Salazar, and the fine line of sport uh, on the Hot Dogs website uh, until May 9th. And uh, you know, as as you heard from both of us, uh, definitely, definitely go check it out. Um, some some really good stuff there. Uh, it's not without limits. But uh, hey, that's that's okay. So, Nothing is. <laughs> yeah, so sometimes we have to watch other movies. That that it's okay. Sure. <laughs> you only watch Without Limits so many times. Once you've got all the lines memorized, and although I still I still watch it, the opening when he's running in that Olympic race, I still think somehow he's going to win it. <laughs> somehow he's not going to get caught in those last. 50 meters. I'm like, oh, he's not going to, no, he's not going to finish fourth again, is he? And then he does. I'm like, oh, I still get crushed every time he finishes fourth. Oh, just the worst. Uh, you, you can find well, us uh, on social media at the Terminal Mile. And, uh, you know, we, we thank you for, for following along with us today. Hey, if you enjoyed this, uh, maybe maybe drop us a little note and uh, may, maybe um, Loney and Rokas review running films. Maybe, maybe this could be a, a recurring thing. Who knows? Hey! Hey! <laughs> uh, I like that. Yeah, of course. Huge thanks uh, to you, to you, Loney, for for uh, you know taking some time to to watch a movie and uh, and uh, you know uh, you know brush off the old uh, media analysis shoes uh, as well too. <laughs> you got to uh, got to combine a couple of your your biggest interests here, uh, and uh, I was sure. more than happy to uh, to provide the platform today. And, and uh, huge thanks for that. Oh, thank you, Michael. All right, well, that that wraps it up. Uh, like I said, you can find us on on social media at the Terminal Mile. We're also on all the big podcatchers as well as YouTube and Tracky.ca as well. Uh, and of course, remember, sport your local Twilight. <laughs>